0: Hello and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson.
1: On defeating Calvinism, there was a handout that went out today and we'll deal with 1 Corinthians 2.14 today. If we can get through that, we'll go as far as we can. On the paper I gave you, I gave you various passages misused by Calvinism. Um, we're going to uh, go through each one of these, uh, front and back, and uh, you might want to take notes or whatever, but we, we won't get to all of them tonight. I, I, we'll, we'll center on 2 Corinthians two fourteen. If you read this passage, you can see how the Calvinists could misconstrue this. It says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually either appraised or discerned. Discerned is probably a better word. And so what the Calvinists do to misinterpret this passage, as you can see, they're saying, look, the natural man, we all agree, is we're talking about the unsaved person, okay? And it says that he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So in the Calvinist mindset, When Paul says they do not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolish to him, is there any exception? Because the Calvinist saying this is why God has to regenerate the person because otherwise the person will just see the cross as foolishness constantly unless God regenerates the person. And remember what we said, regeneration happens after you believe, not before you believe. But in Calvinism, regeneration happens before the person believes. So this is one of the passages they use to say, see, in a fallen state, man can't come to Christ by faith because the cross is foolishness to him and he can't understand them because they're not spiritually discerned. They have no idea. They won't understand. So God has to regenerate them so they can believe. Is that what Paul is trying to get at? No, obviously. That is a misunderstanding of the passage. It is reading into the passage things that are not there. Okay, so let's back up. And to understand this passage, because they'll quote this to you and say, see, total depravity, God has to regenerate people. To understand this passage, you've got to understand the context of the passage so you understand why Paul said what he said. So if you go back in your Bibles, and you can follow along with me, or you could just listen. The context starts in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 18. And so he says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent." Obviously, these are quotes from the Old Testament, Isaiah 29, things of that nature. In verse 20, it says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Okay, the wise refers to the Greek mind, and the scribe refers to the Jews, okay? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Okay, so there's your context. So, within that context, he's saying something. Paul is making a contrast. And he is saying, human wisdom versus godly wisdom, or more specifically, Revelation from God. That's the contrast. Now, unfortunately, what the Calvinists will do in this is they will not see the contrast between humanistic wisdom and divine revelation. They will see it a different way. They will see it as a contrast between an undergenerate person and a believer. That's not the right contrast. Even though it refers to an unbeliever and refers to believers, Paul will then go into chapter three and refer to carnal believers in the same mix. So it actually deals with three groups, unbelievers, spiritual believers, and then carnal believers. So there are actually three groups being dealt with. So the Calvinists are wrong in their contrast to begin with. It's not a difference between a believer Versus an unbeliever. It's the difference between human wisdom and godly revelation. Okay. So that's, we want to make sure you have that clear in your notes. Okay. So that starts it in chapter one. So what he is trying to say at the outset is that human, when somebody accesses human wisdom, that I am going to think from a humanistic standpoint about salvation, Okay, what kind of scheme do humans typically create? Works-based. I and mean, that's why you have the world religions that are all man-made based and all of them, everyone down to the wire comes up with a works-based salvation. No matter what the works are, it's different in, in uh, Hinduism, it's different in Mormonism, it's different in Catholicism, but it's all the same, it's all works-based. So when we're talking about salvation, the human wisdom, when it's accessed and viewed for salvation, and then the the revelation from God comes, which says, no, salvation is through the cross of the Messiah. If the person is using humanistic wisdom, then they will see the cross as foolishness. Because it's not works-based. It's by faith alone, right? In the Messiah alone. But what, what opening did I give you right now? What opening does Paul give you right now? Because if you follow me, if you use human wisdom, then when you look at the cross, it will appear to be foolish to you from a humanistic standpoint. What's the contrast? Human wisdom versus divine revelation. What's the opening? If I access divine revelation, then what happens? Then the cross is not foolishness. It makes sense because divine revelation is telling me this is the way God is operating. So the dependency on the contrast between the unbeliever the believer and even the carnal believer is what information are they using in terms of understanding salvation? So if the person will accept divine revelation, the cross will not be foolishness to them. It will make total sense and end up getting them saved, right? That information. But when the person refuses to accept divine revelation, but accepts worldly wisdom, works based, the cross is then doesn't make sense to them, right? Okay, is that clear as mud, right? That's the context. That's the context here. So with this being said, if you don't have that context in mind, You won't know how to apply it to the unbeliever. You won't know how to apply it to the spiritual believer. And you won't know how to apply it to the carnal believer. So let's start with the unbeliever, because that's the contrast, right? In uh, verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Why? Tell me why. You know the answer. Because they're, so they, they won't accept it because they're using human wisdom and cannot understand them. Why? Because they're using human wisdom. Because they are not spiritually appraised or they don't have any spiritual discernment. Okay. But what happens if they do accept divine revelation? Then everything will make sense, right? Okay, you're following me. Okay. So the, the, the the opening is this. It depends on the unbeliever's willingness to accept divine revelation or not. Now let's move to the believer. The spiritual believer, he'll make the point, the way Paul called mature believers, he called them spiritual believers, okay? So we're refer, referring to a mature believer, someone that's progressed past the basics, right? They're a mature believer. Does the same thing apply? The mature believer has already gotten saved. Okay, so we're not talking about salvation with the mature believer, but we're talking about divine revelation versus human wisdom. How does that apply to the believer that even that is mature? So if that believer wants to become more spiritual, more mature, what does he have to do? He has to accept the word or the divine revelation about those issues that are holding him back or her back from maturity. Because if they don't accept the divine revelation about it, they will go to conventional human wisdom to manage their Christianity. And what is the most popular way Christians use human wisdom to think they're gaining spirituality works based legalism. So when the Christian doesn't want to accept divine revelation, which is exposing them, showing a light on their life, saying this needs to be corrected, this needs to be corrected. Come on, come on, come on. And they're like, I can't do that. I'll just go here to works-based to cover up my lack of spirituality. Or I'll go to service to cover up my lack of spirituality, my lack of obedience. You see how the game's played? You'll all, it's, it's a matter even in your walk with the Lord of whether or not you're going to accept divine revelation or you're going to accept human wisdom. Because you can cover up yourself with human wisdom by works. But according to Colossians two, if you try to do legalism in your sanctification, not necessarily for salvation, but sanctification to become more spiritual, Paul says you will fail at that. It does you no good. It's the appearance of spirituality, but it lacks the power to change you. The law can't change you. That's what legalism is. It's keeping the law in order to be changed. And it didn't work. Now let's move to the carnal believer. Does the same principle apply to the carnal believer? Yes. What's the major problem with the carnal believer? Why is he carnal? He's still accepting human wisdom to rule his life. And so the carnal believers in Corinth couldn't be given the meat of the word, they were still on milk because they had refused to grow because they're not accepting divine revelation about themselves, they're accepting conventional wisdom and they got into legalism and basically what they did, the carnal believers, they started a game with the spiritual gifts and if you spoke in tongues, they thought you were something and they were doing this hierarchy with the spiritual gifts, it was a reverse of how the spiritual gifts' importance are they actually they took the, the least of the gifts and made it the best and it was a reversal of that And so they hid their lack of spirituality by carnality, by legalism. Okay. So when you look at this verse, it has nothing necessarily to do with the Calvinistic view of of total depravity. It's not what it's talking about. Because it's still allowing the person the freedom that if you accept divine revelation, you can be saved for the unbeliever. If the believer accepts divine revelation, they can grow. And the carnal believer who's stuck in their carnality can get out of their carnality if they accept divine revelation. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, divine revelation, we're not talking about the basics, the ABCs and the one, two, threes. You all understand that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about maturity. Now, what do you mean? Maturity has to do with dealing with your mess that you bring into Christianity that is undealt with. Well, what do you mean? Well, I want you to think about your trauma. I want you to think about your hurt. I want you to think about your habits. I want you to think about your addictions. I want you to think about how you manage your life. Is the way you're managing your life spiritual? Is it stunting your growth? And then you have to find out what is the core reason why I don't grow? What is the core reason why I still struggle with certain sins? And I've been doing this for 20 and 30 years. If you don't get to the bottom of that, it's because you're refusing the revelation about that area. So let's take someone, for instance, that enables people. They're an enabler. Okay? And they constantly enable their kids and their adult kids and they keep enabling them. But they don't see it. Other people see it. Other people tell them about it, but they refuse to accept the revelation that they are an enabler and they won't let their own kids carry their own knapsack according to Galatians chapter 6. They won't let them carry their own burdens. Now, when we're overburdened, you're to help other people. But when you have your own burden for the day, it's your responsibility to take care of that burden. But why do they still come in and want to enable that person? It's because they won't accept divine revelation about carrying your own burden. They're refusing it. They don't believe that. They don't believe that passage is true. Now you say, well, these are believers. Yeah, I know. But the reason they don't grow is because they don't believe God on certain categories. So maybe somebody suffers with uh, insecurities. Why do they suffer insecurities? Well, so, you know, something happened to them when they were growing up and they had no money and they were poor and and they, they don't like the feeling of being poor. So now what do they do today? They wrap themselves in the security of money. And money has become their idol and their God. And therefore, they're looking to human wisdom, right? Human wisdom would say you get security from money versus Divine revelation that says no, you get security from God. They don't trust that revelation, so they go to humanistic revelation, humanistic wisdom to manage their life. I'll manage my life through money giving me security. Okay, that all good. Okay, that's what Paul means. Let's go to the next one. Second Corinthians four four. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, the Calvinists misinterpret this passage by saying, see, again, this is why God has to regenerate people because the God of this world has blinded them. And I would want to say, well, you you already said that they're dead in their sins and they can't respond in faith. So why would Satan need to blind them is my point. If they're dead and they can't respond, what's the purpose of Satan blinding them? But yet they, they don't want to acknowledge that. And it's a logical problem. And they don't want to ever deal with that. typically. So then they say, look, you know, Satan's blinded them. That's why they can't get saved. That's why God has to regenerate them and effectually call them to salvation because not on their own. Okay. That is not what Paul is talking about. Now here's the deal. And again, I'm coming back to the hermeneutic principle. Scripture interprets Scripture. Don't ever forget that when you're studying the Bible. When a passage, you're reading this passage and you know you don't understand it, just keep reading the Bible because eventually another passage will explain it. So here's my question at the outset. When does Satan blind the people of this world? Do you know when he does this? Does it say in the text that God has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ? Probably referring back to his Damascus days, right? Who is the image of God? When does the God of this age blind the mind of unbelievers? This question has to be answered in order to understand this text. Right. You guys are correct but let's put a scripture to your response. Okay, so you want to go to Luke chapter 8. Once you see the parable, you'll make the instant connection. Obviously, this is the parable also in Matthew 13. It's the mystery kingdom parables, but Luke has a little bit more explanation, so that's why we're going to read Luke 8. Again, this is the kingdom parables for the mystery age. Chapter 8, let's start in verse 5, okay? A sower went out to sow his seed, And he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock, and soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, but others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has an ear, let him hear. Now then, let's jump to verse 11. He explains the parable. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Catch it? What did the parable say? What happened? What's the order? They heard the gospel. The seed was planted And then who came? The birds represent, in Matthew, he tells you that the birds represent Satan, fallen angels, demons, whatever. You see the order? Aha. So if I know the order in the mystery parable of the seeds, then I can understand what Paul is saying about the God of this world is blinding people. So tell me now, when does someone get blinded? After they hear special revelation and do what with it? reject it or don't do anything with it they don't accept the revelation oh this breaks the calvinist irresistible grace that once god gives you his grace you can't resist you're going to come to faith this parable says no 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 the seed can be planted in the person the truth can be told to that person and that person can just let it sit there and if he lets it sit there and does nothing with it satan will steal it away from him and then blind him Now, why is God allowing a person to be blinded after rejecting his truth? We study this in Romans 9 through 11. Remember, Israel is blinded for what? For rejecting their Messiah after the revelation has been given to them. Hence, the penalty, guys, the penalty for hearing the gospel probably many times and a person sitting there keeps rejecting it, then the penalty for that divine revelation is blindness. You're going to go blind. And guess who's going to do the blinding? Satan will. He'll allow Satan to blind you. Now, it won't be probably Satan personally. It'll probably be the demon that's attached to the person that's following them all their whole life, the watcher. And that demon will have the legal right to blind that individual. Now, here's my next question. Can the person recover from blindness? Yes, and how do they recover? The minute you receive divine revelation and you accept it, the blinders will fall off. But you have to accept the revelation. The longer you reject it, the more blind you get. Now let's go to a believer. We just studied a passage last week in Peter, was it 2nd Peter? I was in 2nd Peter chapter 1, and he warns the believers that if you don't grow, if you don't mature, and you don't have these virtues going on in you, and you're sitting there, sitting and soaking it up, and you never apply anything, you never obey anything, you're just Sunday morning pew sitter type thing, you run the risk of going spiritually blind. Remember that? And then you'll start with myopic, vision you only see around you and what's in front of you and then you go blind and eventually you can't see anything spiritually going on and we can see a bunch of christians today that are completely blind they're saved but they're walking like zombies they don't have any clue what's going on in the world they don't have a clue what's going on with them they're like the laodiceans who are blind to their spiritual condition remember and Messiah has to rebuke the Laodiceans because you guys think you're blessed. You guys think you can see. I'm telling you, you can't. I'm telling you, you're poor, blind, spiritual naked, and and, and so that's the condition that people get into. So, with that being said, any questions so far? Does that make kind of sense? Okay. So, let's explore then the blindness. Okay, because I think that's important for us to understand. If you're saved you'll go blind to your spiritual condition, okay? What will that mean as far as my behavior is concerned? What does it mean for me on the ground? I go blind and I don't understand my spiritual condition. What kinds of things will start popping up in my behavior? Yeah, first of all, you'll go back to the vomit that came out of your mouth, A dog returns to its vomit, right? Peter will say in that passage, you've forgotten your old sins in which you were forgiven of. And what that's a hint of is that you will go back to your old ways of managing life. Well, think about those things. How did you manage life before Christ? How did you manage Christ after you met him? And you still used worldly wisdom to manage your life. And where did it get you? And so you will go back to that and think that you're being a good Christian and you're not. Is there a difference between a bad Christian and a good Christian? Is that even a possibility? Of course there is. Yeah, absolutely. There are good Christians and there are bad Christians. Who are bad ones? Carnal Christians. Worldly Christians. Apostate Christians. I just give you a hint. I just give you a hint. What did I mention? They'll apostate. They'll become apostate. When you go spiritually bind to your condition, you will then accept other false doctrines because you're blind. Chad, yes, absolutely, which at the end of that is a loss of rewards if you do that, if you apostatize. You're right, and, and what does that mean? When, when Messiah, as Richard's pointing out, because Laodicea is the quintessential example of blindness, but they're called the church of apostasy. So I don't think that's an accident, right? It's the church of apostasy, but it's blind to its own spiritual condition. Okay, so then Messiah goes, I wish you were either cold or hot. Now, most people don't understand the Hebraism in that. They think when he's saying cold, that you're cold spiritually and cold to Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. You have to understand the region of Laodicea, where the water came through. There was a a, a cool spring that came into Laodicea, and you would use that cold spring because it was hot for refreshment, for water drinking, right? It was cool. In that area of the world, it's kind of hot. The other one, the warm water, came from another spring. It was a mineral water spring, but it was hot. And you would go in there, and they would make baths and stuff like that for therapeutic baths the mineral springs like people do today. So both elements were actually good. One was for refreshing. The other one was therapeutic. But here's where the problem happened. The two streams actually came and met at some point right before Laodicea, and it created a lukewarm stream full of minerals that you couldn't drink, and it was lukewarm. Hence, the water at that point, once the two streams met, was useless. They couldn't use it for anything else. So when Messiah says, I wish you were cold like the refreshing stream that comes from that one fountain, or I wish you were hot like it comes from the mineral spring water that's therapeutic, because you are neither useful in any category, you are about to be vomited out of my mouth. Because if you drank the water after it mixed, it would actually cause you to vomit. And hence... That's where he gets the term. But what it means is when a person is spiritually blind to their condition, they are now in a useless state for the Messiah. They can't be used. They cannot be used. They think they can be used and they'll go through the motions and they'll participate in certain things, but effectually, spiritually, they're ineffective. Nothing's happening. Nothing's going through them. No one's getting blessed by them. No, nothing's going on through them. And therefore, they'll keep doing what they're doing and think they're actually making an impact when they're doing zero. Zero. I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of Laodicean churches that are existing and are doing zero. Zero. They exist, but they're doing zero. They're not making an impact on anything. Not making an impact on the culture. Not making an impact on on anything. So that's one of the problems. Any other ideas that it could, the, in the behavior? You go back to your old sins, apostatized, useless, anything else that comes to your mind that Paul, Peter warns about sometimes? You're what? Yeah, it's a poor testimony, absolutely. You lose that witness, hence the warning to the church is, I will remove my lampstand from its place if you refuse to be a good witness. I will take your witness away. Ineffectual people have no witness. Because Laodicea looks like the world, right? So an excellent point. Back there. Yes. or Yeah, and that's uh, what Hebrews chapter 5. You're either you're moving forward or you're going backwards. You don't get to stay where you're at. Paul. <laughs> right. Excellent point. You start realizing that other believers are on a different page and you're like, man, I can't connect to you. Where are you? And they're clueless. So their heads in the sand or about themselves and about the world. And you're like, man, I'm having a hard time fellowshipping with you. I love you, brother, but where are we at here? And you're right. You start that, that, that disconnecting of Koinonia starts happening because you're not like-minded. Now, the other thing that happens is scoffing, scoffing by the person. What are they scoffing at? Yeah, and in in what regard? The gospel? There's a warning in Scripture that one day in the last days, they're going to scoff about a particular theological subject. Yes, Second Peter chapter 3, they will scoff. Where is this coming? Where is this coming? That you guys always said. Do you understand that most of the church doesn't believe we're in the last days they have no clue they're in the last days that is a form of scoffing because when you tell them something and you try to warn them they just laugh at you and scoff at you oh you go to that church or you're part of the tinfoil hat brigade or you're part of that that is called scoffing and believers are big time doing it right now to those who love the appearing of our Lord. What is prophecy about? It's about the coming of Jesus. Who wouldn't want to see Jesus? Oh, I know worldly and carnal believers don't want to see Jesus right now because they're having too good of a time right now. They're lapping it up. For Demas has left me. He has forsaken me because he loved this world too much. Remember that? Demas was worldly, forsaken Paul, forsook Paul. And so at the end of the day, when someone goes blind, there are huge ramifications. So when you get scoffed at, take a step back and say, Oh, you're scoffing me for liking prophecy. Uh Uh-oh. You don't have to tell them that. You don't have to tell them that. We just had a whole lecture about you. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want to be rude. But I just want you to take a step back and say, oh my goodness, you're doing exactly what the Scripture said you would do when you're spiritually blind. So yes, you will be accurate because those who are spiritually mature are discerning of spiritual things. Those who are not can't discern anything. Remember look at remember back to 1 Corinthians, and can't understand it because they are spiritually appraised or discerned. Mature believers have discernment. They can read what's happening with other people. Unbelievers or immature believers, carnal, worldly believers, have no discernment. So what's the implications of not having discernment? Then I can be deceived. And I can apostatize. And I cannot see my own spiritual condition. They're self-deceived. Do you see how implications it gets? Where is this coming of the Messiah? They've talked about that This you know, since Hal Lindsey. I've heard enough. I read The Great Great Planet Earth. Brandon, I just have eschatology fatigue. I don't want to hear it anymore. Thank you. Scoffing. It's scoffing. Eschatology fatigue. Have you ever heard such a thing? Crazy, huh? Anyway, any other questions? Yes, go for it, Richard. Yeah, um, the parable of the uh, virgins... In the context, you're dealing with the Olivet Discourse. And in that particular passage, you can take it one of two ways. You can do a secondary application, obviously, about being ready. All the, pa- all the parables are about being ready, okay? But when you start studying the parables, sometimes some are meant for another audience. Um, I mean, the takeaway is you've got to be ready. But in the parable of the, the, the virgins, the five who have the oil, the five that don't... Um, that parable, and I don't want to get too deep into it, has to do primarily with Israel in the tribulation. And that in order for Israel to be saved, they must possess the oil. Then what is the oil? The Holy Spirit. Why would you possess the Holy Spirit? What does that imply that you're saved? And that's it has to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Israel in the tribulation. And so, therefore, any Jew that doesn't have the Holy Spirit means that they're not saved. Those who do have the oil means that they're saved. That's why they can't share the oil. Because you're, you're saved on an individual basis, not on a collective salvation. So even though it's referring to Israel's national salvation, it refers to that every individual Jew must be saved for that to happen. And that's what does happen. Literally, the remnant is all saved, by the way. And so that's the primary meaning of that text. But so, Richard, the, the secondary meaning and the application is the same thing could be applied today. If you're going to be ready for the rapture, you got to be saved.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for The Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, Remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.